0: Welcome to Laughing Historically, the podcast, an audio tour of time itself. I'm Brandon, and this is my brother, Nevin. What do you have to talk about this week?
1: So over the past month, um, I teach in the United States, and one of the things that my grade teaches is uh, measurement conversions. And so I started teaching my students metric, um, which is the system measurement that most 99% of the world uses. And then we had to teach them customary. Customary meaning like what we use in the United States. But we are the United States is but one of three countries that still have not converted fully to metric. Burma, which is Myanmar and Liberia, those are the two other countries that still don't use um, metric system. But they use like their own weird system of measurement. Um, which so that's to say
0: about us as well.
1: Yeah, that, it's <laughs> not even metric or customary. It's like this whole other thing. So. What I kind of got hung up on is, well, why are my students having so much trouble with customary? Um, And of course, that, you know, the metric system uses base 10, so that makes sense to them because when you convert between the different measurements, all it is is multiplying and dividing by 10. So it's as simple as moving the decimal point. But with customary, it becomes this whole difficult issue of conversion. And I kind of did some research into, well, why is this – why do we – why have we We of all countries, the greatest superpower on the earth, still hanging on to using the customary system? And the more research I did, the weirder this became, <laughs> this whole trend of we don't want to switch over. Because you know, when we were growing up, our parents did the same thing. Like, you know, we were going to switch to metric eventually. Like, they all said that. There's and, always
0: the promise of one day. Yeah. yeah we're yeah. going to switch and, to metric.
1: <laughs> and it is true. Like, the, it, since our country's history, it's been – and we'll get into this too. George Washington even suggested, we like, we begin Europeanizing and standardizing our units of measurement. And he's met, you know, he wasn't saying switch to metric. But what he was saying is we need an international system of measurement. We can't just hang on to our own system.
0: Yeah. And, so where does the, where does our, this imperial common, um, American system, where, where does that come right.
1: from? So it goes, if you want to go back, like way back into the beginning of the measurements, so you're talking about Babylonian and Egyptian records, like the Hebrew Bible, you know, you have some measurements being used that we used to like the foot, um, like when body parts were starting to be used as measurements,
0: and and hands. So like, sometimes yeah, use hands.
1: hands. So like a cubit, for instance, is like the tip of uh, your finger to your elbow. So, like, that's a cubit. It's about like eighteen inches. A fathom is a wingspan, like six feet, um, unless like LeBron James. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like ten feet. Um, a and great that's the spi-
0: problem, right? We all have different y- yeah sizes. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: that's where so that's where it all started. Is that everyone was like saying, you know, I'll buy a great span of fabric. And then some guy was cutting like a completely really different amount of fabric for the person. So you have this whole issue of people trying to trade you know, way back in Babylonian Egyptian times, and they were not getting the right amount of fabric or not getting the right amount of...
0: Like, yeah, I what? went over, I, I go over to the the, the the fabric store that I go to. This guy's got really long arms, and so I usually go there. Good deal. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. So it, it it's kind of like,
1: we, that's when it started. You know, that's when the whole idea of, well we have to get away from using body
0: parts but like we still use a foot like that still exists to yeah this and it's day. based off of some guy's foot yeah, some and foot. Like, why is a foot 12 the, inches the like, more like, i think the the more, the more i was reading about this too it's like the more we globalize the more we realize like we can't all have separate units of measurement yeah. <laughs> through through history it's like oh i'm going to start trading with this other country Maybe we should uh, standardize this so we're, we don't get gypped over. And I looked this up just
1: to see, like, what is the average foot size? The average foot size is actually 10 inches. So it's not even 12. So it's like, well, who who came up with 12 inches? You know, like, who decided that? It just it just boggles my mind. So anyway, so over the many years of issues with using these body parts as measurements, you know, you start getting to scientists in, in the Renaissance period starting to actually standardize them. Saying like this is this is a foot, this is an acre, this is this, this is like an acre is the amount of time it takes for uh, a oxen to plow a f- to plow a field. That's ah. what the idea of an acre comes up.
0: I can, I can um, see that, but again, different oxen. Different I, I,
1: exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so you, it's like scientists started actually trying to standardize them. Like, well, it should take an oxen this amount of time to plow a field. So yeah, that's what an acre. Also,
0: like Renaissance time is when you start to get the, people introducing the idea that we should maybe base it around ten. Yes. I, I, um, there's a guy well, then you have Stevan. Then you have the influx of Arabic
1: um, and Islam mathematical systems. Um, that's right. you switch 10. over
0: from Roman numerals around that time. It, it, ex-
1: exa- exactly. That's when the idea of base 10, not the idea, but the system of base 10 gets introduced to Europe. And so that's when you start to have now, well, why don't we use 10? We have 10 fingers, 10 toes. It makes sense to use base 10. So that's yeah, when you people can start easily to calculate
0: over. things with your fingers and toes. As long as it, you're not it, measuring them based on yeah. those fingers and toes. And everyone has 10 fingers or toes well, <laughs> and toes. In, in that time, I would say less people had 10 yeah, fingers and That's a standard
1: thing, yeah. So then, you know, flash for a little bit later, and then you get in, like, the 1700s, when they're finally now starting to, like, the government is now finally stepping in, like, really heavily and starting to say, like, this is what this is, this is what this is, for, for trade purposes. So, like, when America was starting, you know, uh, Washington spoke to Congress in his first address in 1790 about this. And like I was mentioning before, and in that address, he pretty much said like currency is in decimal form, which is a big deal. Like think about yeah. that way. because Our measurements, we use fractions. Like when we say half a foot, that's a fraction. We don't yeah. just say 0.5 you know, feet. So that's a step in the direction of using power, powers of 10, base 10. Mm-hmm. So when you start using currency, it's like, well, why do we have currency in base 10, but we don't use anything else? So, why does it still become an issue? Well, because during that time period, you have a lot of issues in Europe. I mean, you have the French Revolution, you know, you have this whole idea of America isolationism. You know, that started with Washington. I don't want to get involved in what's going on in Europe. and it stretched all the way to Monroe with the Monroe Doctrine. So yeah, you but have to
0: like this is right around the, this time, you have the French Revolution in seventeen eighty nine. Yeah. And what happens there is that France was for a lot of reasons, let's not get into that, in a lot of like in heavy turmoil with the rich people really really pushing around the poor people. Um and at, at a level that it got to a breaking point. Let's go to that way. And um, the people wanted to get so far away from the rich people ruling in every single way. And they wanted to get more onto like a system of like government and government, uh, government around science and not around religion. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what all the rich people were, you know, given to them by God kind of thing. And um, this is also around this time, this to show you how fractured everything was. France, I found a, a, a statistic that said, at this time, before the French Revolution, France had about two hundred and fifty thousand different units of measurement. Yeah, because
1: yeah, It's insane the amount of. Me- I've been reading over the British systems of measurement. It's like they they have things like named after queens and kings, like a queen's gallon. I'm like, what the hell is a queen's gallon? I like, never heard of that. It's
0: like yeah. all these weird. Every town, you would go to different towns, different companies. Everyone had a different way to to measure anything: water, length, amount of wood. That you have, (laughs) like anything, had a different time of measuring depending on where you were. So trade became a real, really difficult. Um, And so the French people, since they were so sick of getting pushed around, they said, "Well, we need to get, we need to standardize this because if I'm if I was like giving, I was paying, if I'm paying my land uh, baron for my uh, for for my farm, and he wants a." king's gallon worth of milk. Who's to say what a king's gallon worth yeah. of milk is? Well, the king does. <laughs> the king the does, king does <laughs> and he's going to define it. So if you yeah. have a standardized idea of measuring things, then there, it's equal for everyone. Yeah, and, and
1: so you have this. You still have this problem, like, even in the 1700s going on, because um, like I said, you have this split between, okay, we're using currency in decimal form, but we're not going to use it for other measurements. And even... Up to John Quincy Adams, he's even still contesting. Like, we have to make this switch. Like, like we have to make this switch. Because about
0: but you think about, about Adams' time, France has already introduced the metric system. Yes. And Napoleon, because of his you know, the Napoleonic Empire, is kind of pushing France's ideal around continent, around the world. he's it, so spread,
1: spreading it. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Even and to so, England.
1: Who, yeah.
0: Who's so, like France's greatest
1: enemy (laughs) so so by the 1800s you're pretty much having metric you know pretty much being used everywhere in europe and so you still have the united states saying you know we don't want to europeanize um so that's that that, it's always been that argument of we don't want to be european although we are european (laughs) in in our history Mm -hmm. we do not want to be european in measurement and this stretches out throughout our country's history like, we're talking about the beginnings of our country. It still will go on in the 1900s as well. Yeah,
0: it's because we missed – so if we were in England for long enough to see England convert to metric, we would have been on to metric. But we left too early to see that change.
1: Yeah, exa- exactly. So, And so then you have, like, weird organizations forming around, like, the whole idea of keeping customary or imperial – like the U.S.-based International Institute for Preserving and Perfecting Weights and Measures in the Late Night. That's the actual name of the organization. (laughs) really rolls off the tongue. Yeah. I'm like, who named this thing? And they're advocating, like, we need to keep the customary system because it is American, although it's not American. (laughs) It's 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 very very English. It's it's very bizarre. (laughs) So these organizations start sprouting up to, like, identify it as – us versus them. You know, customary is American, metric is European, and that's where you really have the solidification of this ideal. And it, it's it's even throughout. Like then you're talking about the Cold War, like when our parents were, you know, growing up, the whole idea of well, we're going to switch over to metric now. Yeah, and that's where the whole metric act came from. The American, I think it's the American Metric Act thing they called it. Mm-hmm. Um so the like there the, the, that, that was the actual government in 1975 saying that we are that is the preferred system of weights and measurements.
0: And we're and- having in the Cold War too. We're talking about a time that again we're talking about when the late 7 like you know, the '70s into the '80s is when America, like, we're really getting the global economy becoming a thing. Like, you have Asia finally, like, waking up and becoming a big piece of our business. You've got uh, Europe and America completely tied together financially. So when it's you have got one country that's a big, a big hub of the world trade, you know, World Trade Center built in the '70s, that's a big problem.
1: Yeah. And and, and then you have this whole idea of, you know, with the metric act of 1975, like you have to now educate a whole mass of people to get behind this. And, you know, when it comes to trade and businesses, no problem. They deal with this. They, they've dealt, they dealt with this forever. So they'll always deal in metric, but the population as a whole, educating these people to switch over, it just never happened. Like,
0: yeah. And so this is, um, so we got, this would be Gerald Ford's. Uh, yes administration who <laughs> the president didn't get much done um he came into being uh the only Vice President and president to not be voted for by. Uh, <laughs> The, by the United States and he's probably most known for his controversial act of pardoning President Nixon from the Watergate yes. scandal y- 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 yes meanwhile the entire country falls into ruin and he's now going to try to introduce metric into this system
1: and, and, and like so th- from this time period you know you have as you mentioned you know so much globalization occurring especially with you know when we start getting closer to the age of technology you know you, you have so much metric being pretty much shoved down the United States throat. And like even to the point where states begin to actually like try to make state law saying that we're going to use metric. Like <laughs> still, still to this day, I think it was 2013, Hawaii proposed becoming a metric state. Like that's crazy. Like imagine going to Hawaii. It's a, an American state. It's the United States state. And you – in kilometers. You know yeah. like that is bonkers, but it's still. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. when it comes
0: to modern times, though, it's like uh, if you go to England, they, their metric. They still will, you know, colloquially, just like casually, use imperial. Well, you stones. Know? Yeah, they say stones all the time. Well, they say stones, and they'll know. They will say miles per hour um, instead of kilometers per hour because you know that's on the um, that's on their odometers. They use twenty four hour time, but when they talk to you, they don't say. Twenty three hundred hours.
1: I had I had this problem with reservations in Italy recently. <laughs> I yeah. was like eight uh, thirty. They're like, uh, we're not open at eight thirty in the morning. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I mean, uh, was it twenty thirty? Twenty thirty? Like do the math in my head real quick. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So this it's still today. Still today, you have states now in the United States saying, like especially the western states, in like Alaska and Hawaii. They still have this all like we're going to switch to metric because people even still in the, in our state use it at, more commonly than the customary system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's still where we're at as a country. We still have every so often you'll get people saying, you know, we should switch back. We should we should switch to metric.
0: And, and when, you, when you teach it in the classroom now to children, you still have to teach both.
1: Yes, you still have to teach both. It's mandated you have to teach both. Um, it's more so emphasized that you teach metric in a way of understanding the place value system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll tell you right now, I- I've taught it in many different ways. It is so difficult for the kids to understand, and
0: I think it because it's in both ways. I remember it's it's kind of it's difficult because metric is a lot easier to comprehend. Period. Like it's based on actual science. So like yes. uh, the meter is one 10 millionth of the radius of the earth, right? Yeah. So just from yeah. right there, it's all based on tangible things when, and the t- base 10 makes converting like extremely easy, but you're still growing up in a, as children where you're they talking still, about they feet. Still can't,
1: they still can't visualize what a meter is. I have to yeah. bring up the meter stick to show them what a meter is. So it, it, it's still that, that abstractness. And I feel like because, we still teach both, I feel like they'll never understand one proficiently because yeah. both of them just confuse them to the point <laughs> where they're multiplying by powers of 10 when they're converting from feet to inches sometimes. Like there's just <laughs> I'm I, I, I'm telling you, I feel like either our country should teach one or switch to the other because it, it's just, they're not, I, they're not grasping one
0: Avergence. Let's not forget that it has caused severe problems, uh, like when in 1999, a um, one you might have heard a 125 million dollar Mars probe, called the the Mars Climate Orbiter, which was supposed to be the first weather uh, observer on another world, uh, it was sent to Mars. And on entry, it completely burned up because of a glitch caused yeah. by converting yeah. U.S. measurements into metric measurements. And, and, but you
1: have this too with with things um, like wattages on bulbs. You you have this still occurring to this day when manufacturers make things and they're not converted properly into other measurement systems. Yeah. Um, and, and you still have these weird measurements too with like nutritional information, like, like calories. People still don't really understand what a calorie is. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it and then like you have to think about well fat grams. You no know, people don't <laughs> understand like what difference between saturated and trans. Is. Like, you still have these issues with measurement till this day. Um, and it's just it's just crazy how our yeah. history is so convoluted because of and it.
0: And I you know I think it does speak to how um you know this is a perfect example of how pig headed America could can be and why you look at. Lots of ideas that Europe ha- has uh, and why, like, we're the only first world nation that doesn't have socialized health care because we don't want to be Europe. And that's the one thing. We're, no, we're not. We're not Norway. We're yeah. America. <laughs> well,
1: the one thing I saw when I was in Italy, too, is they don't use the word calorie, they use the term energy. And I find that interesting because that's what calorie is. It's, it's energy your body is obtaining. So, it, like, pe- people still don't understand what a calorie is they see them as bad but not necessarily like a calorie is a unit of energy it's it's good for you calories so like saying that oh i'm eating no calories today you're going to die then you can't <laughs> eat no the calories there's no <laughs> diet that gives you no calories so that's what i'm trying to get with the whole calorie thing is we still make up these weird measurement units that yeah. the world doesn't use like yeah it's crazy and we still do this like there are other ones i was looking up like and this is one you'll really find funny that i found a new york second they actually def- <laughs> a scientist actually defined this as the period of time it takes between traffic lights turning green and the cab behind you honking that is what a new york second is so it's
0: we're the- still we're still finding weird ways to define measuring yeah, and we still make these up and it's just yeah. like can we just choose one and stick with it <laughs> So I'm going to talk. I want to talk a bit about your your time in Europe, and specifically about you were sending me some great photos that I had posted on the Laughing Historically Instagram from your whirlwind trip through Italy. And um, the one that really uh, got me, weirdly, going down this huge research hall um, was from this. You were in the Vatican Museums, which looked amazing. Um, and there was a um, a fresco, meaning a, a painting on a wall, um, on the ceiling of the Galleria. Now, I can't, I'm very bad with Italian, so brace yourselves. The Galleria di uh, Candelabri?
1: Yeah, it's the, it's, yeah, it's the, it's the, they call it the Candelabra um, Gallery. Yeah, yeah. All these, in the Vatican, there's all these different gallery areas that all the different popes have added on throughout the centuries. Um, and so this one was, you know, the candelabra gallery. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's all these different areas are very ornate. Um, Like this one, which I found interesting as being a a math person is uh, it's all maps that the person, um, the artist, I forget who it was, which artist was, but um, they hired, the Pope hired a mathematician and a a geographer to paint all these different maps of Italy. And what was interesting about they had to do back then they had to draw proportionally. And so every like inch of that canvas on the wall was done proportional to the actual land area. And that was done like the 1700s. So the amount of math that, that one guy had to do, it's like paint by that, hand. Yeah, exactly. By hand. <laughs> it's insane. And using no, his, no,
0: his digits, his fingers and toes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah exactly. Back to measurement. Um, who, who knows what me- system of measurement he used for that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um so this one a specific one was done I do know that because I had researched so much about this fresco um was done by a uh uh Domenico Torti who was a a, pa- a kind of in-house painter for the um for the Vatican mm-hmm. and to describe it you can see on Instagram uh the top section of this fresco it shows the traditional arts like painting um and sculpture being blessed by um by God by the church and um, so it's very traditional, rays of light, angels with blessing painters, people with paintbrushes, people with chisels for sculpturing. And then the lower part features um, another little section, kind of like comic books. And these frescoes are a lot, they're kind of like comic, comics. The bottom part is the newer arts at the time uh, being blessed. And that includes a little angel holding a camera, which you found very funny
1: um yeah, yeah. so when we, when we went into the room our, our tour guide briefly described this and was like oh and look the pope this pope loved the modern art um and so he hired um Tordi to do this fresco with an angel holding a camera and i was kind of like, <laughs> I, I like i kind of like because you're always being pushed if you've ever been to vatican you're always being pushed through because yeah. there's just so many people it's like one of the top five museums in the world and so i said to myself like Wait, the, <laughs> why would a pope like technology? I'm yeah, like, and so
0: this is... guy, this got me really interested in this this pope, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, who uh, he and he considered himself, and this is a great word, the uh, daguerreotypist, which is it's an early photography enthusiast. So at this time, his reign, talking about 1878 through 1903. So photography at this time, very early on, they would use p- pieces of silver that would be painted with, like, with this chemical that basically when you expose light to it, it would burn onto the silver. And that, that's, those are the kind of creepy old 1800 photos where the person had to stand extremely still. So you had to keep that open for several seconds to get the image to burn on. And yeah. this Pope Leo, he loved it. He even wrote a book on the topic about photography. So he was that, he was that into it. He was um, an odd Pope too. Cause I read
1: too, that he used to offer gifts to other Cardinals who visited him and the gifts would like be like bags of tobacco and like, yeah cameras
0: like <laughs> it's like weird things yeah, he just like, yeah, so he seems like a really interesting character and i think a lot of um the, why this guy got the job at the time uh was he had these like giant controversial shoes to fill because before him was Pope Pius IX who ruled for 31 years which made him the longest serving pope in history he had ruled for such a long time but didn't wasn't necessarily very good at his job because he saw the fall of the sovereign uh, papal states so to describe this and you, know, you you being just gone to Italy you know the regions of Italy are very they're very different the south the south and the north are you know, completely different foods, completely, almost completely different cultures, because for a lot of history, they were completely separated. Partly by a... Around Rome was a whole separate country, basically. Yeah. Uh, which would be the Papal States, with Rome as its capital. And the, the Pope ruled the Papal State, which cut Italy in half, uh, as its own country. The, the Pope was basically a king. During the Pius' time, there was basically... We're talking about early 1800s, mid-1800s. You, you saw America get its freedom and unify, and you saw France get its freedom and unify. So now Italy is also looking at, like, well, yeah. we, want, we, want, we want our own country, too. Um, the problem is that Sicily is its own country, and then the northern Italy is mostly ruled by the rich Habsburgs has the, the, a very Germanic influence. And so there was this unification, basically a war, that that happened with the Pope at at the center of it. And the Italy decided they wanted Rome to be their capital. So they basically charged in with armed military and took the, took the papal States back and they, they let the Vatican keep the Vatican, which it's still its own independently ruled sovereign state. Correct. Yep. And that's why there's that huge wall around it. But yeah. Yeah. So they, they're like they're, they're still very protective of it. And so this pious guy who basically saw the fall of one of the like the longest held kingdoms in the in the world, he called himself the prisoner of the Vatican because he, he <laughs> went from seeing this big country shrunk into just a little call it a city. It's like a neighborhood of a city, basically. The Vatican. Yeah,
1: it really feels like that. Yeah. And when you get there, they really emphasize like we have our own military. We have our own this. We have our own that. Only certain people can live here. I, it, it is that they really want you to feel like you're in a different country, but it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. But they, they
0: really want you to know that this is different. <laughs> Basically, as soon as uh, Pope Leo was uh, elected, he wanted to kind of like reach an understanding um, between the people and the church, because the the church in Italy at that point, as you can imagine, wasn't at its best uh, it's, it's best public image. And, uh, part of that was he, he was saying he's into photography. He was really into kind of the reaching an understanding of the church, uh, with science and believing that the two could exist, which is pretty amazing. This is, you know, 18 hundreds is a big boom for science. You know, we've got yep. a lot like, you know, there's a big enlightenment happening throughout Europe and to have a Pope that was, you know, really believed in that thing was was pretty pretty great for the for the Catholic Church. This guy became pretty popular.
1: He was also a very hard worker. Yeah, um, what I know because he really tried to because all the tension going on through throughout the different the world and all different countries. He tried very hard to make the priesthood get along well. Um, and so he, you have to think about also the time period as well. Like you have so much tur- turbulent uh, issues going on throughout the world that you know he had to pretty much hold together the entire papacy when all this was going on, it's quite a feat for a guy to go through.
0: Yeah. Well, the the world's at turmoil, but also if you look at like the idea of religion, it's kind of under, you know, kind of under attack in a way because science is completely changing the way the world is viewed at this point. And there's not necessarily a place for religion in the things that they're, they're talking about. And, um, he did uh, a lot to reach out to scientists. He opened the Vatican Secret Archives to qualified researchers, which was like unheard of because these were, you know, the no one has more records in the Catholic Church and actually in the middle in the Middle Ages no one did more scientific research itself than the Catholic Church. So there's a lot of things in there that scientists really wanted to get in and poke around in and he refounded the um the Vatican Observatory for astronomers and the Vatican yeah, that, they still that, have
1: that it. was that was gigantic because that's what our calendar was founded upon so reopening that that was a big nod in the um way of science,
0: yeah, and the Vatican has um a um uh, has a giant telescope to this day yeah
1: and it, and it gets another thing on the tour they don't really they brush by it like they just point at it and like, oh, that's the observatory. I'm like, well, that's where our calendar was developed get <laughs> so brush by that.
0: He also was the first pope to appear in a sound recording and also the first first pope to appear in a motion picture. So he saw like he saw the world completely change under his reign. In one way, he was so uh, his eyes were so open was what brought me to the next thing that I became obsessed with about Pope Leo was he was a uh, we were talking about. He was like, a, you know, a, a, a new thinker. And like many of the new thinkers at his time, he was a devoted drinker of Vin Mariani wine. Uh he even carried a hip flask of it with him everywhere he went. And uh, he awarded it a Vatican gold medal and <laughs> even appeared in an advertising for it. Now, that's, you know, that's fine. You think of Pope's, you know, of course, Pope's It's funny because when
1: you, when you look up Vin Marini wine, he's, it's the first picture yeah. that
0: appears. The first picture is this picture of, you know, smiling Pope Leo. Now, <laughs> To really get, bring in what this Vin Marini wine is, um, it was a French drink uh, that was made with coca leaves and contained about 7.2 milligrams of cocaine per ounce.
1: Well, this is that time period <laughs> where people were releasing medicinal wines and medicinal drinks. Yeah. And so, yeah, th- this is what very popular, that's what a lot. Of the people, most popular
0: would yeah. had a... a, a quite a, a lot of cocaine in it um, yeah <laughs> and so now, now the pope at the time was was carrying it everywhere he went um also it was queen victoria drank this too like yeah Ulysses, she had a dr- glass of day Ulysses
1: grant and Thomas edison like they all all the lightened fingers drank this stuff yeah
0: we all you know we all know grant drank and uh thomas edison of, of course but yeah queen victoria apparently drank a, a one glass of it a day and this isn't a small amount of cocaine, it had a large no, amount of it cocaine, was a lot
1: of cocaine um, to drink
0: because you think about just let's uh, be real here when people just snort a little bit of cocaine, what happens to them? Seven point two milligrams. per she has ounce. a lot of cocaine. <laughs> and you had, you know, like a little wine glass of it. So like uh, about four or five ounces of it at a time. Um, and everyone <laughs> was drinking it. it because some of the you know the most popular people in the world were drinking it. It spread throughout Europe as this great drink. And um, and as I said it was made out of uh, out of coca leaves and um, flavored with cola nut. Here we go. It spreads to America, the popularity of it. And in 1885, um, a John S. Pemberton, who was... Um, there you go. Who, here we go. Check the dots. Here we go. Get ready. Um, he was a Confederate <laughs> colonel who was wounded in the Civil War. And when he got wounded, he became addicted to morphine. And, he was tr- and you know, he became a druggist. And tried to no, do no, well, well,
1: Let's sell like this. He was a snake oil salesman. This yes. guy. He went yeah, around well, to pharmacies every- and like try because I read a whole book on this. And there's still people, even the Coca Cola company, still to this day they honor this man in such a like. I didn't he was to that. trying to yeah, find to an, big a reveal. nerve
0: tonic. Yeah, I didn't get to the big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> So John S. Pemberton, who was a, uh, if you were a druggist in that point, you basically were a snake oil salesman. So Vin Marini Mor- wine was so popular. And so he he developed his own uh, Vin Marini Mor- wine um, called Pemberton's French wine coca. Uh, coca. It got very popular and it spread. Not very far after that, Georgia passed prohibition, uh, prohibition-like laws, and Pemberton was forced to create a non-alcoholic version yes. of this wine, because remember, it's, it's a wine, mm-hmm. and he uh, also, with this, had to remove the cocaine, because they were starting to see <laughs> that cocaine was a, was a drug. <laughs> Finally. So, so he was able to keep the kola nut, <laughs> he was able to keep the, 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 the coca leaves flavor, but Everyone was used to this thing giving you like a major jolt to your system. So what so did
1: he add? He added a ton of sugar. A dough. ton of sugar. The <laughs> most sugar you <he> could possibly <laughs> add to it. Like
0: think about it, as much sugar to, you know, simulate get to, you know, that seven point two milligrams ca- of cocaine
1: and a ton of sugar in this drink. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And when he did that, he renamed it. Coca-Cola, yes, as Nevin Bruin, Sorry. <laughs> he This became Coca-Cola, uh, and basically his bookkeeper uh, designed the logo from his handwriting, so that's why it's handwriting, because the initial logo was just, I'm just going to sign my, my name kind of thing, um, and it was...
1: Well, what happened is when he passed away, and Permanent passed yeah. away, You had this whole mad rush to see who's gaining the Coca-Cola brand, and so so many... Issues with people saying that they had the rights to it. And so eventually they settled on who I'm sure you're gonna bring him up, the person, the businessman, I forget his name. Asia who,
0: Griggs Chandler.
1: Yes. And he was the one who got the rights in the end.
0: Yeah, and he was basically like a marketing genius. And so Coke was very popular in the South. Because right. he's the one who he's the one who brought Santa in this Coca-Cola. Yeah. So he's the yeah. guy that kind of makes Coca-Cola a household name. What also kind of helped around this time is that you also get full out prohibition being passed in the 1920s which means no no alcohol for anyone and Coca-Cola kind of took this as a really uh, a great opportunity for them to advertise themselves as like the perfect alcohol alcohol substitute because if you're not going to get drunk you might as well get extremely hyped up on yeah, sugar really and caffeine really wired. so you have to affect your body in some way right and so over the 20s Coca-Cola's sales Doubled. You know, the rest is history. Coca-Cola grew into what it is. And we came from this picture of this angel.
1: Yeah, yeah. All, all the way, way to Coca-Cola. A, a, a pope who's drinking liquid cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And I, I think that's kind of interesting. And too, we, when you and think we about- still don't know. We
1: still don't know what measurement he drank it in. <laughs>
0: no, no, how many <laughs> how many uh kings got ga- queen's gallons <laughs> of of cola nut he was drinking but you know it is it is kind of as we get more um health conscious coca-cola has kind of had a lot of troubles so it is is drastically declining well, you recently
1: drank the new version isn't that supposed to be like the most authentic version so um what
0: oh so this isn't so i didn't even get into that pepsi so that was that's pepsi and Pepsi, uh,
1: it's was, pepsi. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry
0: similarly so if you got uh, Coca-Cola in 1885, in um, 1893, again, because this Vin Marini was so popular, in North Carolina, a drugstore release uh, released something called Brad's Drink, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was the same thing, a copy of Vin Mar- Marini wine uh, b- eventually becomes Pepsi. And Pepsi just released a, a 1893 uh, line of drinks, which they claim is as close as they can get to like a... 1890s version of uh, Pepsi, of course, without the copious amounts of cocaine. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it, they're definitely marketing it towards a more artisanal kind of mixed drink thing. It, it, yeah. it does taste very good because Pepsi and Coke a big part of a uh, big part of that taste is like classic bitters. They're, they're it's weird. They are a very old fashioned 1800s taste because it's like bitters and vanilla and cola. These aren't t- flavors that we necessarily jump at today other than in like a cocktail (laughs) yeah. Uh, because all those were also invented in a a similar time and that's so bitters it kind of you can really taste the bitters very forward on it and it definitely is kind of being made to you know put some whiskey in
1: (laughs) so 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 you're pretty much doing what they took out of coca-cola you're putting I'm not back putting
0: cocaine back in.
1: <laughs> You're putting alcohol back into it, though. That's a Vimmarini was, right? Yeah. It was alcohol and caffeine.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it is weird that taste does because it was made to have alcohol in it, and I think that's why it kind of is a standard mixer because it, it was very much an alcoholic drink.
1: That's that's crazy. Yeah, we still we still do this to this day. <laughs> we still do that.
0: <laughs> All right, so that's. Our first Laughing Historically audio podcast in the new era. Thanks for listening. Nevin, thanks for sharing all your metric knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to vent somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if if you're interested in more Laughing Historically, uh, we've got our YouTube, youtube.com slash laughinghistorically. We can never put up a, as many as we want to, but there's always new stuff in the works. And also our Instagram, which is updated quite a bit now, uh, Instagram.com slash laughing historically. So check us out there. If you like this podcast, I, um, I encourage you to, to tell your friends, subscribe wherever podcasts are found. But, uh, you know, this is the first one and hope, hopefully we get a few more out there for you very soon.
1: Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, and, dog's barking.
0: And with that, with <laughs> Evan's dog Max telling Evan that he's got to go. <laughs> talk to you later
1: see ya